0: All right, um, so we're reading 1 Corinthians 5 today. It is actually reported that there is sexually immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens a whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, we would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you That you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you were hoping for a nice feel good sermon this morning, (laughs) look, um, I'm really glad that I'm not in Paul's position having to uh, challenge uh, a case of uh, um, incest and and then, you know, living, sleeping with his his father's, like basically his stepmom. But at the same time, this passage isn't about just sort of heinous sins that. Uh, that, that's, that something of which we'd probably or possibly never deal with. It's about what's shaping our behaviour. Um, is the gospel shaping our behaviour as the people of God or is the surrounding culture shaping our behaviour? And we'll see that in a second. And, and as we get into this, before we just pray and go, okay, we're going to study this today and go, what is your word to us today, Lord? Let's remember there is good news here. There is a, an important life-giving word for us in this passage. It may be a hard uh, passage of scripture, um, but good news isn't always easy, isn't always just light. It sometimes is challenging, um, but it is, and there is the gospel, um, good news, something that brings life in this. And so let's pray and just uh, settle ourselves for a second and ask God to, to speak to us, to reveal to us His good news in this passage this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, that he came to bring the kingdom of God, the, the ways and the will of God uh, to this earth, that we may step into it and live into it. And I pray that as we uh, dig into this passage, which is a hard passage of Scripture, to go, well, what, what are you saying to us in this, Lord? What does this mean for us? That you would uh, that you would draw us closer and closer to you, Heavenly Father, the Father of, of love and the Father who is holy, different, holy other than than um, any other being, one who is perfect in every way. Lord, would you draw us in and make us too holy as you are holy. Lord, we just come before you and ask that uh, you would soften our hearts and open our ears, what you would have to say this morning, and that you would give me the words that you'd help me to uh, present, to speak uh, your heart this morning and nothing else in Jesus' name. So, the city of Corinth uh, was a city with a culture. It had cultural norms, accepted practices. And it's just like our culture. It has accepted cultural norms and things which people go about day to day in everyday life. Some of which is perfectly acceptable for a God-honoring person and some of which is not. And the challenge here is that the New Corinthians, uh, the Christians in Corinth... Uh, hadn't worked out yet what it was that wasn't consistent with their normal way of living and what was consistent with God's values and God's ways. Um, Gordon Fee, who writes a lot on uh, the book of First Corinthians, a uh, scholar in this field, says, "...although they were the, the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was yet in them, emerging in a number of attitudes and behaviours that required radical surgery without killing the patient." This is what 1 Corinthians attempts to do. And when, when we read this chapter, which especially is, is what this attempts to do, radical surgery without killing the patient, I think, uh, when we read this chapter, we look at it and go, incest, that's horrific. Like, how on earth could a moral human being, let alone a Christian, think that that is in any way acceptable? But some context is really, really important. Here's an example of a Greek saying from that particular time and place and if you googled this you would you'd find it online uh, the, the saying was mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure conc- concubines for the daily care of the body but wives to bear us legitimate children that was the society they lived in Most men were promiscuous. The idea of women and men being equal partners in marriage was a foreign concept, and that was the cultural norm. And for the Corinthian Christians, even if they'd heard things should be different to this for um, followers of Jesus, they were either quite relaxed about the sin, or even worse, they tried to theologically justify their behavior because... Um, they're like, well, we're just used to this, so they try to condone it. Maybe even celebrate it, as we say. You're proud about this, Paul says. And, and we, we know the problem of sin, uh, which is mostly what we're talking about today. We know, uh, even at a subconscious level, but certainly as, as people have been in the church, if you've been in the church for some time, we know that sin, it pollutes God's good world. Uh, sin has effects that destroy relationships that destroy our bodies and destroy the world, or in some cases, all three. Someone once said, sin is like a big sneeze. It feels great coming out, and then there's snot everywhere. <laughs> and a lot of the time, sin is fun. Otherwise, why would we? But the effects are not good, to say the least. Now, that's really easy for us to see in, the, in this passage. You, know, you look at the rampant sexual promiscuity, and, and we know, well, that results in STDs at a, at a physiological level. That results in women being reduced to objects. That results in marriages being a shadow of what they're meant to be. It's crystal clear to us, just don't do it. This is bad. This is wrong. This is sinful. It has a range of devastating effects. But to them, but to the Corinthians, it was normal. And when you're living in a culture where your behavior and its effects are simply accepted and lived with, you don't seriously consider the need to change that behavior. Let me say that again. When you're living in a culture where your behavior and its effects are simply accepted and lived with, you don't seriously consider the need to change that behavior. And as a Corinthian considering your level of comfort with this sexual promiscuity as as normal behaviour, when it's challenged, you just naturally brush it off. It's no big deal. Everyone's doing this. Or you would maybe even defend and condone it. But that's the Corinthians. It has no relevance to us in 21st century birth. Here endeth the sermon. (laughs) Or maybe not. Let me say again what I said a few seconds ago. When we're living... In a culture where our behaviour and its effects are simply accepted and lived with, we don't seriously consider the need to change that behaviour. That's the norm. Unless someone comes and shows us there's a better way to live. There's a way to live which is different, and ultimately it's going to be good for you, good for others, and good for your relationship with God. One of the themes in 1 Corinthians that I've been highlighting in this series is that the church is to be uh, God's temple, God's body, uh, the, the body of Christ, and God's temple, an alternate temple, a counterculture to the other temples around us in the city, the things that people go to in, in their normal life for social and for worship and everything. Um, and, and if we're a counter culture, an alternate temple, this will make the church both putrid and disgusting to some, and strangely enticing and beautiful to others as they realize that the one their hearts long for is here, that God is among his people. But the removal of sin and, and behavior that is at odds with God's ways isn't just for the sake of those outside. Like if we live differently, then they'll be drawn in and that will be good for them. It's also good for us. The sake of changing our behavior to align more with God is 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 also for the sake of God's people in the church. And Paul's addressing, he addresses both in this chapter. This is for the sake of those outside and it's for the sake of you inside the church. So first of all, what is sin? We know the problem of sin, it ruins God's good world. It ruins our lives, our relationships, etc., our relationship with God. But what is sin? Well, what this chapter shows us is that what it's not is what we define it to be according to our cultural practices and norms. The Corinthian Christians, um, shaped by the culture they'd lived in for so long, had just decided, well, this isn't sin. This isn't really destructive. This isn't really ple- displeasing to God. And may, it may even be a good thing worth celebrating, if we argue it from a certain perspective. It's really, really easy. The point is, it's really, really easy to avoid sin or to condemn sin in others, or to to um, judge sin and say, "Yeah, that's that is really bad," when we are the ones who define what it is. So we we can, as Christians, we can say, "Yeah, sin. That's that's their. That's yep. We shouldn't do that. Yes, we need to make sure we get rid of that in our lives." But this stuff over here, because we've redefined it as not that bad, what's the problem with that? But sin is not what we define it as, according to what's convenient and widely accepted among our friends and our family, and even what's widely accepted among fellow Christians. Sin is what God says it is. I'm not going to go through the the whole list or something today, but it it is what God defines it as. And sin in our lives, whether things we do or or things we don't do, whether private or public, whether they're big or small, sin puts us in hell. And Jesus died. In our place, so that the eternal results of sin in our life could be exchanged for eternal life in the presence of God, that is the good news. Sin has devastating effects, but Jesus has dealt with them, and He said, "I'll exchange your sin for my righteousness." Is what He says. And and what Paul seems to be saying is that intentionally sitting and claim, after you've claimed to be forgiven, going for it intentionally. Is, is dangerous so this this passage um, many will debate okay this man who was living with his his basically his stepmother um, committing a grievous sin um, people will debate was he um, actually a christian in the first place was he at risk of losing his salvation and what about that whole issue is he just deceives he thinks he is like what's actually going on here if he thinks this is okay whatever the case uh, let's be really really perfectly crystal clear this morning i sin you sin we all sin we all fall short of the glory of god sometimes knowing perfectly well what we're doing sometimes it's intentional i know this is wrong but i'm just doing it anyway uh and it can be a long time sometimes before we come back to God and repent and repent. But the Spirit convicts us lovingly. If we have the Spirit of God, He convicts us. He draws it. He says, that this needs to go. We know it's wrong. And, and we are engaged in this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And we will be until the next life. But to intentionally take what God says is rebellion against Him. And claim that, is, that it is acceptable so that we can engage in such behavior that's what's dangerous. Whatever our claim to belief or, or salvation, that's what's dangerous. If we redefine it and we, and we say, I, I, think this is, I, I say this is acceptable so I can engage in it. Are you with me? Let's, let's share some encouragement for a second because I know this is kind of heavy and it's like, oh, really, do we need to deal with this today? Um, but it is important. We're not going to just skip over a chapter because it's uncomfortable. But here's some encouragement. If you're a Christian and there's sin in your life right now, I don't just mean like, yeah, I know we're all sinners, but I mean like maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's um, something you know isn't right and, and needs to change. Maybe it's a short temper and, and you can't seem to change that as much as you try. Maybe it's an addiction to uh, porn. Maybe it's an addiction to shopping and all your friends are the same, but you're like, oh, I don't feel comfortable with this, but I'm, I'm engaging in it anyway. If there's something you feel isn't pleasing to God and you can't seem to change, and it feels like it's one step forward, but then it's two steps back all the time, but it disturbs you, that is a good thing. Now, not the sin, that's a bad thing, right? That's awful. You do need a change. But the fact that you want, at some level, this sin gone in your life, even if it's mixed with a desire to hold on to it. And we got teenagers in the room this morning because um, Supercal's not on this morning. And maybe there's something you're wrestling with because you're learning about what it means to follow Jesus, uh, teens uh, and and youth, and you're going, I'm wrestling with this. That's a great thing because it means... If the Spirit is convicting you lovingly and gently and saying this isn't right and it needs to change, there is hope. God knows your struggle. He's working on your heart gently and carefully. He's forgiven you completely. He's willing to work with you to bring that freedom from that sin or addiction. And so don't give up. The encouragement here is be broken by your sin. Hate it. Hate what's in you. But know that God doesn't hate you. God loves you and wants it gone. You're a child of God. Nothing can change that. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He sees you as he sees Jesus. Don't forget that. If, on the other hand, you're you're a Christian, you've committed your life to Jesus, but you simply had no idea that it's wrong to, for example, sleep with random people purely for pleasure. Now you know. And if you need help to stop, that's what the church is for. Maybe maybe there's something else. Like I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know I couldn't dot dot. dot. That's okay. I mean, as Christians, when we begin to learn, we get there's things we realize, not just intuitively, but because we now see it in the Bible, we learn it in the Christian community. It's like, oh, I didn't actually know I shouldn't do that. Okay. Now I need to work on that. But on the other hand, if you're a Christian, you've simply you've committed your life to Jesus, but uh um and you learn of God's moral standards and decide you'll ignore them and live the way that you think is acceptable, however much that's justified by others around you. I urge you, please, please reconsider. And that's kind of what today's about. Well, part of what today's about. Because compromise is, is actually so much easier to do than we may think. Right, so Jesus... Jesus, um, I was, Talking to Aaron this week and we said Jesus raised the bar on sin. He reminded, no, Jesus didn't raise the bar on sin, he just returned the bar on sin. Right? Because God through Moses made exceptions at certain points because people's hard hearts were hard in the Old Testament. Jesus just put it back where it was, holiness. Right? And and he said, You've heard it say, you, sorry, you've heard it said, don't uh, commit adultery with a woman. I say to you, don't even lust after a woman unless you commit adultery with her in your heart. Jesus said, um, you've heard it said, uh, don't murder, pretty clear. I say to you, don't even hate. Um, he also said things like, forgive 77 times when the disciples asked him, how many is enough? 77 basically just meaning in that context, like, don't stop, keep going. It's unlimited. Um, and so it's really easy to compromise because the bar is that high that we go, well, just a little bit. I mean, I mean I've forgiven this person 76 times and they keep doing it. Maybe 77, surely like I can just hold on to a bit of bitterness and unforgiveness now. And is it really that big of a deal? It's just a little. Or just a little lust, just a little gossip. But what Paul's saying here is just a little is a big problem. Because it's like yeast. So don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been Sacrificed A little is a big deal. Now, this is a, a really, really fascinating image. So if you know the, the history, um, uh, going back a few thousand years, the Israelites are in slavery to Egypt uh, for like 400 years. And then in a, quite a quick turn of events, God rescues them and brings them out of slavery. And, um, and they're to put the blood on the doorpost so the angel of death will pass over them. And so then every year after that, they celebrate the Passover, right? With the Passover lamb, The the blood of the lamb representing their salvation, their rescue. And um, this is all pointing to Jesus, who will be our Passover lamb, the lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, uh, sacrificed so that we would be set free from sin. And in that that original Passover event, the rescuing from Egypt, God said, we're out of here. Don't even put yeast in the bread and wait for it to rise. We're eating unleavened, basically flat bread on the way out of here. And so it's this image, like, don't let the yeast back in unless you go back to that slavery, to, in this case, sin. It's a fascinating image. And it's and it's not just on an individual level. What, what Paul's saying is our, our sin somehow affects the whole community because the church, you and I, are one body. It's kind of like a marriage, right? You, we become one. It's like, I'm... Married to you, Liam? I, I'm not, I mean, we struggle with that image sometimes, but it's, it's we are one body. And so what you choose to do in secret, what I choose to do in secret, affects you and you and you and those sitting around you, affects me, right? It, it's it's, it's kind of like a situation where there's radiation around. People go into a bunker to get away from that. But if somebody brings radiation into the bunker, it's no good anymore because it spreads. Or like in New South Wales, I know it's a sort of a stark image, but they've been in lockdown for a couple of weeks. They're trying to curb this by saying, stay indoors, stay indoors. But one of the issues they've faced is that someone brings the virus into a household of seven or eight people, and now the lockdown for those seven or eight people has no effect because it's in the house. Um, Now, the image breaks down, of course, because as Christians in the world, we're not affected by um, the sin like a virus of those around us Unless we let that culture into the church, and so this is what sin is like in the church—like a virus or radiation. When it comes in, it, it it spreads. It's it's it affects us all. Which is why before we even get to the issue of discipline, we need to talk about transparency and accountability. So last week uh, I was talking about from chapter four about how um, we we have we did have many. Guardians or pedagogos, like a live-in tutor who will teach the information, but not many fathers. In other words, someone you can imitate. Discipleship, real Christian maturity comes not from more learning and head knowledge, but from seeing how to live shoulder to shoulder with someone else. That's what real Christian maturity and and growth is is about. Uh, And that involves that transparent kind of relationship. That involves bringing sin out of the open, transparency with others. For the sake of both uh, you and for the sake of those around you. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Karen and I, um, uh, we meet um, every month with some close friends uh, who are also in ministry. And uh, we're actually meeting with them this afternoon, it's the third Sunday of the month. And um, they will ask us to our face, How's your marriage? And if we've actually in that month been a bit selfish and neglectful and not really a good husband and wife to each other, um, we can probably hide it like, yeah, marriage, we're, we're going good. Um, how, how about you? you know? and, but it's really hard to do, most, mostly because we know they're asking because they love us. Because they care about us and they'll share their faults as well. And so, honesty in that space is just like if we've been terrible husband and wife, we'd just be like, Yeah, we're not going so well. Pray for us, help we, us. We've got to do better this month. Be, um, similar um, with, with a group of pastors I meet with every week, it's really hard to hide stuff from them. Not impossible, but it's, but it's hard. But even deeper than that, beyond that, there's stuff that can get buried a little more below the surface that actually requires a bit more initiative and a little bit more digging on our behalf. So I'm just going to share really openly and honestly this morning. When it comes to sin issues, uh, I'm full of them. I mean, you know, short temper and all sorts of things. But one primary one in my life for many years has been the issue of lust, the sin of lust. Um, Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, the pastor's sharing this. Others, you you are like, well, he's a, a male. So what's, yeah, yeah. But the point is that it's, it's, it's a sin. It's, uh, it displeases God and it hurts me and it hurts others. So uh, I have a fairly typical story. And those of you who are teenagers in the room, you will be dealing with this. Parents are like, oh, what's he going to say? Don't worry, your kids are dealing with this. Um, age of about 13, was introduced to a uh, form of pornography. A couple of years later, I used to go to LAN parties with, with you now. if you don't know what a LAN party is, don't worry. It's just geek stuff playing computer games. Um, But after dark, the kids, like the the, um, friends, would bring some stuff out, which was really unhealthy. Um, And at first I was like, oh, this is not not good, but it would begin to creep in. And by about the age of, a couple of years later, I gave my heart to the Lord. And by about the age of 19 or 20, I can't remember exactly when it was, I went, I need to go to a a mentor, a trusted friend, and say, I need accountability, I need your prayer, I need help, I want to do better in this area. We started a journey of healing and of growing and going, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove this from my life. To the point where I'm so glad for the grace of God that I'm in a hugely better place um, and it's gone from my life. But about, it, about uh, four or five months ago, earlier this year, I was sitting reading my Bible and praying and uh, this kind of topic came up and I just sensed the spirit of the Lord saying, Luke, you need to be accountable again to a brother in Christ. I was like, okay, I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I necessarily need this. But then when I think about it, when I'll go to a shopping center and there's images plastered, you know, <laughs> right up the wall of, of, of girls wearing a little less than what they should be wearing or you go to a you know a, the beach or something else, sometimes my eyes will not bounce away as quickly as they should. I'm not like, this, but no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, be, you know, glib about this, but, but actually, even that little bit of lust. So I went to an older brother in Christ earlier this year, Said so I want to be accountable to you. I want to keep a journal uh, every now and then and submit it to you and say, this is how I'm doing. Just because I, I would rather be uh, not just compromise and say, a little bit's fine, it's not, but a little bit can, can creep back in and become a, and can be like yeast in my life as well. And so we've got to live transparent lives. We've got to, James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And if you are a teenager in the room this morning, listening to this and going, oh, well, I don't have to, I I encourage you, like do this now. Not when you're 25 or 30 or 35, like now, like have the standard that none of your friends have now. And what God will do in your life over the next 15, 20 years will be incredible. Um, But also because we're one body as the church, Paul says sometimes uh, sometimes when sin is evident within the church, there's got to be discipline. There's got to actually be a calling out of sin among one another. Of course, this gets really uncomfortable really quickly. We don't like saying to people, I love you, but I'm worried that you're hurting yourself and hurting others by doing X, Y, Z. Because we're fiercely individualistic as Australians. We don't like being told what to do often. And plus, one of the biggest fears... Of Christians is that in doing this we'll be seen as judgmental right because one of the biggest issues people think Christians are judgmental Christians are judgmental which has been true but we'll get to why that is in particular in a second and so but we think oh we don't want to be judgmental so let's just go anything goes instead which is not the alternative when Paul says expel judge Hand over to Satan this man. Are you not to judge those inside? We're like tense up. Oh, really? Like, we sure? But our thinking and approach to sin has to be shaped by the gospel in this. And what I mean is that eternal life is what is in, we need to keep in view here. The gospel is that the time has come; the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's what Jesus said. Um, this kingdom, this this rule and reign of God, where where there's this evil-free reality. It's both now and not yet, and God is establishing His kingdom on earth through those who choose to exchange their sin for His righteousness, that they may live forever with Him in His kingdom. And so, this is why Paul says, "Judge those inside." God will judge those outside. Let me let me spell this out. I've put up on the screen. I've got the next slide. Um, you've got basically four situations, four possibilities inside the church and outside, whether we call it out or don't. Inside the church, if I call out sin, if I condemn or judge, uh, and it's because it's someone who is saved, someone who has eternal life guaranteed in heaven with God. And I call out the sin because I want them to experience freedom from that sin now. I'm worried about how it's hurting others around them now. I genuinely love them now. Their salvation is not at stake. They're deeply loved by God. They have a sure hope of of, of, of eternal life with God. They're just poisoning this life in the meantime, and I want better for them. That's why calling out sin inside the church is the right thing to do. But within the church, if I don't, Judge, if I don't condemn the sin, if I don't call someone out, and it turns out they're deceived, they think I'm a Christian, but actually they're not. And then I do nothing. Then there's no chance for them to repent and receive forgiveness and salvation, which is why Paul says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Why does his spirit need to be saved if he's already saved? Well, he's saying, it sounds like he's deceived. But then on the other hand, it's the, it's the vice versa in the out, on the outside. If, if I judge and condemn the sins of others outside of the body of Christ, which God already does, is His job, I just communicate to those on the outside a moral standard they need to live by to be good enough for God, which isn't possible without Jesus. <laughs> which means they don't hear the grace of God. They don't hear you can be safe through the blood of Jesus. They just hear judgment. And it goes horribly wrong. And Christians are branded judgmental, in some cases rightly so. But outside the church, if I withhold judgment, if I withhold condemnation of sin and instead point to Jesus who exchanges their sin for his righteousness, they may reject the offer, fine, but they may choose to repent and receive the gift of eternal life in Christ, which is a celebration. And so the invitation today um, it is is come and lay your sins down at the feet of Jesus and confess them today that you may be healed. James said, we confess our sins for forgiveness, confess our sins to Jesus for forgiveness, confess to one another for healing. Um, and it might not only be you that's healed, but people around you in the long run as well. And if someone comes to you this morning and they're repentant, they're broken over their sin in their life, and they if someone comes to you and they confess to you, your job is to say, brother, sister, you are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Go and sin no more. Um, I just believe God wants to heal people today. Our vision, part of it is to be a thriving family of, of believers. I, I believe this starts with getting serious about sin. We can't thrive if we're stuck in slavery. starts with getting serious about sin and behaviour that's at odds with with God's will and ways, that we may live in the freedom he intends for us. So let's pray. God, again, we know this is a hard message, but we in in the midst of this is the good news, that you are willing to exchange your righteousness for our sin, that we may hand it over to you and it would be destroyed on the cross of Christ. Thank you for this wonderful invitation to come and be saved, but then also to be sanctified in this life, becoming more and more like you. So as we pray this morning, first of all, if you've if you've never heard or at least responded to the gospel, confessing your sins to Jesus so that he can forgive you and give you eternal life with God. If you want to do that, if you want to say yes to Jesus today for the first time, I want you to pop your hand up if you're in the room or online online um, just let us know in the chat just so that I can see here or we can see, um, I can see online if that's your decision today. Father, thank you for salvation and thank you that uh, you have made us clean. Thank you for new life in Christ. We confess our sins anew this morning whether we're in the family of God or not yet. We confess them to you We ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for new life. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit again, we pray this morning, that we may live lives pleasing to you. And as we continue to pray for those who are saved, redeemed, set free, uh, but know of sin in their life. Father, I pray you would give those who are here in this room or online who, who know of this sin, that are burdened by this, that you give them a boldness to confess this morning. Not just to you, but to each other, to someone they trust this morning, that healing would begin in the name of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would use that simple simple declaration of the mouth to start a process in their life where they begin to experience freedom in the name of Jesus from that which you have already rescued us from. Father may there be nothing in the way of this this morning. We claim that the enemy has no place here bringing doubt into people's minds as they think about confessing and and being honest and being transparent. But in the name of Jesus healing will occur as we confess our sins and as those who receive these confessions respond in love saying you are forgiven and then begin to journey in a way in which we can become free. She can commit these things to you, Lord Jesus. Ask that you would do your work as we sing and worship now in Jesus' name.